0: Hey, Lance, this is Ian Foster with The Riff, an Alaskan podcast. How are you? I'm doing all right. Awesome. Appreciate you coming on the show with me. Um, So Zach arranged it. I really appreciate him um, reaching out to you. And uh, now I just wanted to establish a little bit of who you are and um, get to know each other a little bit and we'll jump into the meat of it. Now you're an Alaskan, right? You're born and raised, Anchorage? Yep, born and raised, born and raised in East Anchorage. That's awesome, so you're as a lifelong Alaskan, also as a representative in our legislature, I had an Alaskan question for you, I'm a transplant, so I've only been up in Alaska for about 10 years, and I'm wondering at what point, at what point can I start calling myself Alaskan?
1: Uh, Well, you know, it's seven years. You you you, you it's seven years is when you moved from a Chaco to a to a sourdough. Although as someone who was born here, I don't know. There's a few people that have been here for seven years, but I don't know. They uh, they they might need a couple extra years to truly get themselves there. But that's always been the a uh, uh, rule of thumb was seven years, and you can call yourself uh, uh, an oh, Alaskan sourdough.
0: That's great. Uh, I've never heard that. Okay, that's 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 intriguing. So I've done some gold mining. I've done some social work. I worked for Child Protective Services. Um, I was even a driver's ed instructor. So maybe I fast track that process a little bit because I started calling myself Alaskan about five years into it. And uh, maybe I've been living some dog years as far as that goes. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, well, again, thanks for joining me. Um, right now, we're in a legislative session that started off with some fireworks. Um, you ended up as a minority leader. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. I'm uh, leading uh, the Republican caucus. So yeah. Okay. Um, what was the, what was the rift all about
1: at the very beginning of the legislative session? What was that all about? What happened is initially when we organized after the uh, session, there was 21 members of our caucus, or at least that was the understanding. Uh, There were a few people that had been a part of our caucus uh, in past years that that had joined the Democrats and had created a majority last time. And um, uh, anyways, one one of the 21 decided that they wanted a better spot. They didn't like that the rest of the team didn't give them – position they were after, so they decided that they were going to go uh, gotcha. jump to the side and kind of throw a kink in everything. Uh, that opened up uh, uh, basically what ended up being a 2019, so there wasn't enough to actually vote a speaker, uh, and it took uh, a month before a couple of Republicans that had been part of our caucus decided to vote for the speaker, and uh, they ultimately created a new uh, majority that's in place.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that from the outside, looking in, you know, some of the people in the public were like, what's going on, but, um,
1: from the inside looking out, I'm sure a lot was going on. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I know there were a lot of people that were kind of frustrated, but it was every day there was conversations taking place and, you know, one day, if I could write a book, I could get into the details. But uh, mm-hmm. frankly, what it comes down to is there's some, you know, there's there's few individuals that uh, uh, took positions of power over uh, um, ultimately over their what they claimed uh, was their values. So that's hence why, uh, why you have what you have. And um, yeah. uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, well, they say all is fair
0: in love and war, but they could probably include politics in that as well, huh? Uh, they
1: can include politics uh, for sure, but uh, I, I got to admit it's it's actually uh, uh, I don't necessarily consider it fair because I believe that if you're going to go out there and to say that you stand for something, um, you shouldn't change just because you have the opportunity uh, to get a uh, an officer position that you know truthfully most of Alaskans most of their constituents could care less about. Yeah, yeah. Well, we found our first
0: point of agreement there. Thanks for voicing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you today, um, first of all, you're a business owner, you're a lifelong Alaskan. How does that shape uh, how you do your role and how you enact your role, which is obviously a
1: very principled role within the legislature? Well, you know, so um, obviously there's there's uh um, being a lifelong Alaskan having the, the business experience that, that I do uh you know brought me in with a very different mindset than um, someone who'd come from government now that's uh that's not to say that people that, that uh, come from government have a uh, a failed sense, but it's a very different perspective uh, um, you know there's there's a lot of people that at least in the past that I would work with that they had started off as staff and then they had ended up becoming elected where 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 I came from was a, a perspective of first um, uh, you know what are they doing down there because when I first got elected we uh, we were struggling to um, Struggling in, in the overall economy outside of government, uh, we had money in government. We didn't have money in the private sector, and that was because of the uh, the overtaxation that we had in the the oil and gas industry, and it was very controversial. But I I thought. I, I, um, I had opportunities uh, to leave the state people had uh, I had headhunters coming trying to find me up here and I had turned them down so as I uh, started looking myself with a, a, a executive uh, MBA uh, started looking around trying to find the um, uh, find opportunities I recognized that it wasn't just me it was pretty much as a state we were struggling in the private sector to find uh, opportunities for people to stay here and um uh, and so we needed to do something different. We needed to change that. And um, and that was the perspective that I brought. I came in saying, what what are we going to do here to, to, to not make it so that I could get a job? Uh, it was so, because I looked at it and said, if my kids, who are very, they were very young at the time, if they're here in 18 years and we're struggling now to uh, sustain a private economy from which... I'm struggling to find, uh, find opportunities. What kind of opportunities are they going to have? And so that's how I came to the legislature. That's how I, I, I started in my first couple of years. And I'll tell you, when you come in with that perspective and you, you come into a, a building that is um, uh, almost ancestral, right? They look, they look to themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't, I call it the Juno bubble. Uh, it truly is a bubble. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. in this building, and they, they 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 just become accustomed to it. You, you come in, and it's you come in with with ideas and and wanting to change the world. Uh, it you you kind of you can initially get frustrated, but I'll tell you, we, we were successful. We we took uh, the two years prior to me being elected, we had an eight percent per year growth in government, and and that was that was par for the course. It wasn't too far off from what like the three years before that. And we started to turn it around. My first two years, we got it to 5% growth. The next two years, we got it to um, under 1%. And then, of course, we had a, a drop in oil prices that allowed us the opportunity to address it even further, um, kind of forced us to. But we were able to come in and make the make those changes and In doing so, we also analyzed what were those policies that were preventing private sector from being able to be successful, what, what taxes, what regulations were in place. And and, and frankly, we were able to be uh, uh, quite successful at the time. Of course, we had a governor that agreed with us and aligned with us. And so that's where I came from, was it was an outside perspective from business, from being here, from looking at what the future was. I came in and said, we've got to do something different. We've got to make sure that this is here for the long term. Um, not everyone comes in with a long term view, and that's actually unfortunate.
0: No, I agree. And again, on the, from the outside looking in, as I've heard these conversations, they talk about ideals, but they, they don't have a lot of basis in practicality sometimes. I mean, the budget in some ways is very simple. Do you have the money? Well, then spend that money that you have. If you don't have the money, don't spend it. So, I mean, but the budgetary process can become very simple if you take out some of the voodoo of it. So I'm happy to hear some of the things you're saying. Um, so you are the the... Uh, on the energy special
1: committee. You're the co-chair of that. Is that correct? No, I was my first two years. Uh, so okay, I, 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 I actually do happen to sit on it again. Um, uh uh-huh. um, uh I, I was my first couple years and I was majority leader the next couple years and i moved over to the finance role um mm-hmm. and i remained on finance including being a lead for the, the the Republican caucus the last two years before moving to the position i am now so um and i and i, I moved to this position and stepped out of finance uh because it was you know it was obviously that the caucus uh caucus uh, you know asked me to do it but to do that i couldn't i could take both roles so uh, okay, guess okay that's so I sit on a couple committees because I'm in this position. And one of them being happens to be the, uh, energy, uh, energy and rules, which is kind of more of a leadership and then, uh, health and social services. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. So um,
0: one thing that I'm working on right now is a justice reform series in Alaska. It's very difficult. Like if you were to Google "Justice Reform," Alaska," you'll find that a lot of the information is six months a year, two, three years old, some of it. It's hard to know yep. exactly what's happening right now, and not just that. I mean, there's spin associated with all of that information as well. So it's hard for the average citizen to find real-time data about what's actually happening, what the actual metrics are uh, that you guys are using to make decisions. And so, um, and we're going to switch gears a little bit. I'm curious about just rewinding the clock a little bit, um, back when SB Senate Bill 91 was passed. Um, you were against it. That's correct. Yep, absolutely. And and you were in a minority at that time. And and a lot of times, especially when it comes to crime or wars, Abraham Lincoln lost his net, his next election cycle after he voted against an American. I believe I believe it was a Spanish American War or something like that, but. But he said the political lesson they learned from that was that you never vote no against a war; it's just bad politics. And but you voted no against SB ninety one, um, which is a very uh, it's a very difficult thing politically to do um, to vote no against those tough things. You know, everybody starts beating their chest. Um, but now we're we're looking at some of you know the ramifications and the either unintended consequences or consequences we just didn't realize of SB ninety one. And now it's starting to make a little more sense and all of a sudden you're an Oracle, you know, you're looking at the, you you had a crystal ball at the time. Can you, can you describe some of your thought processes, some of the climate at the time when SB 91 was, um, was being discussed, was passed? What were the considerations within the state, outside the state?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's within months after we were through uh, with that debate, actually, we had uh, staff within the building that would come to my staff and say, everything your boss said is exactly what we're seeing. Um, I don't revel in that. That's not what my goal was. My goal wasn't to be proven right. My goal was to actually uh, advocate uh, uh, for uh, caution, for for uh, more analysis. You know, crime, uh, crime is complex. Uh, it has multi, many facets to it, mm-hmm. and um, uh, what had initially, what it, when, I, when I first got down here, um, and of course I, I spent my first four years also in the Judiciary Committee before moving over to finance, and, and of course that's, I was on finance when SB 91 was passed. And um, uh, when it first came down the area, there there wasn't a lot of talk about overall crime reform. And uh, uh, actually, as a matter of fact, we strengthened some stuff. Uh, um, Governor Parnell strengthened some sex trafficking and and some other issues. But as Governor Walker came in, um, uh, there was a a little bit of a shift in attitude. Uh, a, A bill that had passed, I believe, in 2000. 12 had asked had set up the the um, uh, the commission to to look at judicial uh, or to look at uh, uh, criminal reform at the time, uh, I remember uh, when we debated it, in judiciary I didn't really think too much uh, about it. And uh, uh, actually, that may have been actually in fourteen. I didn't think much about it in terms of I, it. Just okay. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about crime, and we're gonna talk about uh, maybe fixing a few things here and there. But even in even in fifteen, in the, um, the f- uh, first year of, of Walker, I was not as in tune with it as I ended up finding myself in and in 2015 uh, we heard uh, that's when we brought Pew in, uh, Pew Foundation ha- came in mm-hmm. um, with the Justice Commission and they started presenting us numbers and data and when they first presented I was excited I would admit, when they first came in, uh, they were talking about how to deal with uh, recidivism, which I absolutely agree it was and still is a problem. We were talking about 67 to, you know, almost 70% uh, recidivism. Uh, that's that something's wrong. Do we have a Department of Corrections? Do we have a Department of Punishment? So I was excited to hear that they were going to come back. So I, I went to uh, the commissioner at the time uh, of Public Safety Commissioner Folger, and I said after a, a committee hearing, and said, "What can I do? Can I offer a bill?" Can can I do something? What can I do? And, and specifically, it was related to what I was excited about as they had presented the, um, the, what what, what is called the collateral consequences of sentencing. Uh, that is the back end. That's the when when someone has gone through the system. What are the collateral consequences to it? What are the what are the barriers that are put in place from someone being able to re-enter so, to society? There's over 450 of them. Some of them are are necessary, and some of them you would never imagine changing. For example, um, sex offenses. Uh, you're not going to change that an individual shouldn't not be able to work with children or or whatever setting is that that, that sex offense happened, you're not going right. to change that. Right. But you might reconsider what someone who might've had a, 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 a you know, financial offense or something like that you might consider why we determined that a certain offense in that sense had a certain amount of time or, or a certain industry for which they couldn't work. And, and, and you might rethink some of those things. Well, they said Commissioner Folger said, "Come back and we're going to we're going to have a report that'll be there uh, next year. Uh, just hold on." I said, "All right, I'll hold on." Over the course of the summer, they gave us some more presentations, and I had uh, some friends that came to me and said, "You need to really watch this. This Pew Foundation information you need to be cautious with." Well, sure enough, as uh, 16 rolled around uh, and they started to it started to gain steam, we uh, I. It, I had I had started to do my homework, and I was realizing that the information that the Pew Foundation was offering was uh, not good. It was not um, in Alaska's benefit. And what it seemed like the attitude was is that there, the, the bill got legs because we were in a fiscal crisis, the second year of our fiscal crisis, and people were looking at ways to reduce the budget. And because of that, people started looking past the realities and the expectations of what would come out of it. And they looked to, well, hey, it's going to, the fiscal amount says we're going to save how much money? And so while I asked that question of the sponsor, who is a good person, by the way, the the sponsor has a a, a good heart, John Coghill and I are are, are still I mean, good relationship, but as I asked that of him in in finance committee, I said, what is the impetus of this bill? I said, is it financial? He said, no. But as soon as he stepped out away from that witness stand, the next person that came up and she was a a police officer from Juneau uh, who sat on that commission, she said, the first thing out of her mouth was, why do you need to pass? this bill. You need to pass this bill because if you don't, you're going to have to build a new prison. It was a financial conversation and people looked past what it was doing and looked to the financial need and they didn't understand and do their homework. I wish I could say it different. I wish I could say that everyone looks at every bill and does all of the homework. But the truth of the matter is, is people don't. And it was a 120 page bill as well. It was, well, It was, yeah, exactly. It was in a special session that we had the House ended up passing it. And um, uh, frankly, it was worse when it came out of the Judiciary Committee on the House than what came out of finance. Uh, you know, I, I tell people, I so said you have to understand, I found success because there were some terrible things in there when it came out of Judiciary like what? But when we got it out of finance, we were able to actually back some it off. It still wasn't in any way, shape, or form a good bill. Mm-hmm. But um, there were things, and, and here's an example I like to use. Initially, there was something called geriatric parole. Geriatric parole, the, what, as it was written, was that once you turned 55, you would be paroled. It didn't matter what the crime was. It didn't matter how long you'd been in prison. The idea is, is that you cost more when you're older, and so therefore, we're going to put you out because we don't want to have to pay for you. <laughs> that was in the bill. And so we we were actually able to get, in finance because of the work that myself and my staff did, we convinced them that they needed to put some parameters on it. So we were able yeah. to get the bill, uh, we were able to get the age uh, moved up to, to 65. We were able to get it to, um, so that it didn't apply for, for murder, for sexual offenses. You had to be in prison for, for 10 years. We were able to get several provisions, but the point was is that the bill was worse, even as bad as this bill was, it was even Worse before it get moved out of the finance committee. Yeah, and so yeah. that's as the challenge. Studying the as, as I've been
0: studying the whole. I mean, there's there's that. I mean, Shawshank Redemption. You've probably seen it, yep. you know. And it creates this compelling idea that well, some. Some people that are convicted of crimes, you know, they, they will temper after some time, they'll, they'll soften and they will, you know, learn the, the mistake that they made. And, you know, Morgan Freeman plays a great character and we all have empathy for him, but there's also the, the people that end up behind bars that do not learn that they, they, if anything become hardened. And, and so having a balanced conversation, like you're talking about, and not just creating just one big loophole that blanket applies to everybody obviously that's something that has to be written into the bill and it has to be taken into consideration in the conversation. You can't just drop things down a step or just kind of do a mass release to deal with the fact that we have the highest incarceration rate in the world. Well, the thing is we do have an adjudication system as well. And so people are going through a system where they broke a law and they're convicted by a a
1: jury. So anyway, sorry, back back to what you're talking about. No, Um, no. And so you know, it should have been. It, it was also an omnibus bill. It was. It should have been about six or seven different bills, and that was that was the other problem. I, mean, I highlighted something that was more related to the the back end, the the once you're through with your sentencing portion, right, or once mm-hmm. you're in prison. This bill though, started off saying we're going to put fewer people in prison. We're going to lower the sentences, which has really been a key driver of what the crime people are are um, feeling, because now they know they know that they can t- get away with certain things because the penalty penalties aren't there. It's not worth It's not worth the time for a prosecutor because they've got so many things on their plate. It's not worth the time for the cop or the cop just flat. It. In some cases, they couldn't even arrest it initially before we passed that uh, 54, which correct tweaked a few things. The cop could a cop could watch someone break into your car, but not be able to arrest them. All they could do is give them a ticket. And so that was the other aspect of it that also was problematic: is that we it was it was across the board. It wasn't one piece. It wasn't this small. The whole thing was revamped, and that's part of what created this overall uh, um, problem within the system. Was it destroyed the whole system? So now we fast
0: forward. You have the unique. You know, uh, not pleasure, you said, but I mean, you are the, you are a unique voice that has said, well, I was right, you know, which sucks, but you were. And now all of a sudden we're in 2019, we're in legislative session. There is talk of repeal. There's talk of reform. There's talk of adjustment. There's talk about letting it sit still. Where do we sit now? Now that we actually have some data that we can see, I mean, normal Alaskans in Anchorage, they they have their own data. They don't have to trust a a you know a statistical right. organization to come in and tell them what their data is. Um, where do we sit now?
1: Well, part of the problem with data now is that you can't have an apples to apples comparison of of uh, of the information. Things that at one, at that prior to ninety one would have been counted uh, in criminal statistics because they're not they haven't elevated to that level are not counted as criminal statistics. You know that we one of the things I warned as we were talking was that you know you're going to come away in a year and you're going to say hey crime has gone down because we've reached because we now we have uh, uh, redefined what some of these crimes are. The difference right. is, is that the public is going to feel it, and they're going to tell you crime isn't down. As a matter of fact, it's gone up. And so where we are now is that the the data can't really necessarily be compared. Uh, But there's also then People that are, you have to kind of move away from the data conversation. You have to move away, move into the political realm to talk about what's going on with 91. Why didn't we fix 91 earlier? Why didn't we actually address more of the challenges in 91? Well, that, that becomes a political thing. There are certain people that adamantly supported it and remain uh, supportive of it. There's other individuals who believe that 91 uh, was correct. And uh, in some cases, they've been able to stand in the way. Uh, So, where we are today, right now, right in front of us, today, on the bill to correct certain challenges was introduced on the floor and sent to the Judiciary Committee. The thing is, is I don't know that that particular bill, as it stands right now, without having really been able to delve into it, because I just saw it today, Based on the people that are on the Judiciary Committee, um, I don't suspect that it probably meets all the concerns that I would have or the people that I represent would probably tell me that they have. So the good thing is, is that as this goes through the process, which I hope it will now do, although it should have happened a month and a half ago, we shouldn't be waiting until three weeks before the end of session and saying, we're going to pump out an omnibus bill. That's part of the problem with 91. We pumped yeah. out an omnibus bill in a short time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good thing is that the Senate has been having some of these conversations for longer periods of time, and, and this bill will eventually have to go over to them, where they will take uh, some of those concerns and add to some of the few things or, that we uh, might address, we're still risking, though, not actually solving the challenge. Uh, the governor spent a lot of time in putting some bills together that, uh, that address, went, went beyond repeal in some cases and truly looked at uh, re- actual reform. Uh, there's resistance from some of the people, specifically in the majority, that uh, don't necessarily want to see that. There's a few people that recognize they have to be supportive of the concept of repeal because it's politically where they need to be, but they really didn't, they're really not necessarily supportive in their hearts. And that's where we're battling. Which that's the challenge we're battling right now: is how do we get something good to come out of this, with the politics standing in the way of uh, true, effective legislation?
0: Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is that 91 passed because a lot of people um, did a politically safe thing. It's it's safe to be tough on crime. Um, and well, it's it, well, it's safe to be. It's safe to follow the majority, I guess. We'll say it like that. And, and and
1: so, the case. Right. It was, it was safe. It was safe in their mindset to advocate for reducing spending. If you're, yeah. if you're being told that you're a big spender and you can go and say, Hey, I passed a bill that's going to save $30 million. You become a hero. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, you saved $30 million. At least that's the perception you have. And if you don't know what it does, then you don't care. And most people didn't understand what it did. And so they said, I'm saving money. I don't really know what it does. They say it's going to fix the system. Okay, sounds good to me. It wasn't until afterwards they recognized, oh, so it no. Was not tough on crime, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So now we're having to reevaluate
0: that conversation. Right. Um, so, from a, I mean... So you're not directly involved in some of those, I mean, you're involved in those conversations because you're part of the legislature, but you're not directly involved in some of the, you know, the, the, the specifics of the bill. Um, how are you using your influence to, uh, based on your experience, based on your knowledge, based on what you're representing, the principles you have, how are you using that influence to shape where the bill goes, what it can do, what it can't do? Yeah,
1: So I would still argue that I have probably one of the better, both myself and my staff have a better understanding of the concepts behind the 91, the concepts behind crime than the vast majority of the people in the, in the house. There's a few people that would probably argue otherwise, and they specifically would probably be on the other side of Mm -hmm. of the issue from where I am. So because of that, um, you know, we've for a while sat down with other members of my caucus and said, all right, let's talk about some of these things. I said, I've uh like I said i my, my staff member who was uh, very effective in uh, um, getting some of the uh, some of the the bad things. Not as bad um through her advocacy, you know she yeah. still remains working for me, and so I, we've connected her with some of the other individuals, and um, uh, as well as I'm still continuing to meet with some of the some of the people both within the administration outside to to understand you know what what it is that we can partner with and what what discussions we can have because I'm able to bring my expertise to the rest of my caucus. Uh, I'm able to bring my expertise actually outside of my caucus to the majority. And ultimately this thing's going to hit the floor. And, you know, I I was, I made, I I stood up and made a lot of arguments uh, in that case against even my own majority at the time um, for, against 91. And so as I go forward, and I have these conversations about, you know, from from in some case, some people's eyes, um, kind of an uh, uh, an expert view. Uh, although I'm, I don't want to inflate my what I mm-hmm. where I put my what the perspective of how they may see, I'm yeah, able yeah. to advocate that I, I have some knowledge of this. And so, some people look to me to say, "Okay, so what are your thoughts on that?" And so, even if I'm not on a committee that's going to hear it. I can talk to the people that are on that committee, and I can say, here here are some thoughts, here are some things to consider. And then as it gets to the floor, it, when I s- decide at that point in time that I want to get involved, if I decide to offer amendments or I decide to work with others, there are people that are gonna say, hey, you know what, well, um, uh, I've talked to him, I understand, I'm gonna listen to what he has to say, and they're, they're part of both caucuses. And, and I'd argue mm-hmm. the same thing happens, there's a member on the other in the other caucus, Andy Josephson, that that he and I, there were times where it was, you know, he and I were offered a amendments and there was only a handful of other people that were joining us. And so, um, Andy's another one that, um, uh, you know, I've, uh, you know, that we will find that if he, if he offers some of these, some of these items that I think you'll find people might be willing to, uh, consider. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Um, one thing that's come up as I've been uh, talking with different people, I've reached out to a lot of different people and, um, so I've talked with a lot of public servants actually, and and all of them have have required to be off the record and in, in talking freely about SB ninety one. I mean, there's there's policy obviously in place. You know, public servants shouldn't um, use their their station to enact political agendas, and I I totally understand that. But when those public servants also spend a third of their life enacting something um, that's difficult difficult to enact, when the rollout was such that a lot of them. Um, didn't even know exactly, you know, there, there, I spoke with a police officer, a former police officer that said that there was some of the rollout. They didn't find out until after he'd already arrested people inappropriately. So there, there was a lot, a lot of the rollout could have been handled differently. Anyway, these public servants are saying that they can't comment publicly on it. And I wonder how that shapes the public dialogue when the people that are actually enacting the law can't comment on it and can't help shape the public dialogue and the public perception of what it is. What would you say to those uh, public servants that are, that are in the trenches, you know, the, the, the parole officer, they're the probation officers and the, um, and the DAs and people that are actually in the trenches working and enacting this bill, how can they get their voices heard? What's the, what's the medium for them?
1: Well, so there's a couple things. You know, first is that um, uh, this is a different administration than we had at the time. Uh, they're interested in hearing some of those concerns, and uh, they've, they've they've already shown that they're interested in hearing some of those concerns. And so I think that that the fear of reprisal that some of those people had in the past, which was legitimate, I mean, they were truly concerned about uh, uh, about what would happen to them. Uh, I don't think that same environment exists for them, at least in the state level. Uh, that's that's not. I can't speak for on a local level. Um, mm-hmm. There were definitely police officers who reached out to me uh, initially, and they had indicated that they uh, wanted to talk about it, but they couldn't. Uh, so uh, they would come to me, and I would uh, I would withhold their name, but I would argue the 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 issue for which uh, I agreed with them on, that they were bringing to my um, uh, bringing to my uh, uh, Attention, and so you know those individuals can still do that. They can still reach out to people like myself who are friendly to these uh, to uh, their concerns. And uh, I'm I'm only one. There's several out here that are willing to advocate. And we can go and try to figure out how uh, we can potentially uh, take their concern and whether whether or not we are successful, uh, able to do it. What we won't do, what I never did, is I never took anything they said, and uh, oh, I'm going to go tell your boss. You know, uh, the the beautiful thing yeah. about uh, where where uh, the perspective that I, I, I'm i from where I am is I was able to look at people. I was able to look at the administration. I was able to look at the, the, the opponents, and I said, police officers have told me X and they, there's nothing they could do to ever get them, that name out of me because I held legislative immunity. You can't force the name out of it. This person came to me in confidence, and there's nothing you're going to be able to get to. So they, they knew, and I was able to assure them that once they came to me, I was able to hold on to uh, and, and hold on to their their identity but be able to argue for the case that they're doing. There's still people here that are willing to do that, listen to what they have to say, and I would argue if you're in a place that uh, you still feel that there's some concern, I definitely reach out to some of the various members that are um, supportive and, um, and, uh, express to them your concern. And I know, I know, for example, the, the Anchorage police, they still feel that way because I still have several that I work with uh, on a regular basis who, um, uh, still feel that they cannot speak up about their, uh, their concerns or their opposition. That's great. I appreciate that.
0: Um, we're going to back off a little bit. I really appreciate your time. and I know it's valuable. You're in session right now. So I appreciate you taking the opportunity to get the voice out there and, and get some of these considerations out there. A lot of times the average citizen just doesn't have access to good information. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I wanted to ask one more question and I hope it's not creepy. I want your Wikipedia page and you do have one. So congratulations. You're you're more famous than me. But um, I, I guess I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so it says you're involved in youth soccer, and so uh, yes. is that true? Uh,
1: so I was um, when I – shoot, it's been a while back. Yeah, I used to coach right. uh, youth soccer years ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the question is, would you rather
0: uh, coach and or ref youth soccer or um, be the minority leader in the Alaskan uh, legislature? Um
1: well, oh, they, they both have their, their positives. Um, so I don't know if I can say I would rather do one. There's days where you look back and say, man, I sure would be easier right now to be dealing with children. And then there's other cases where, you know, the, the, the job really has its satisfaction. So, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, there's times where it's difficult, but uh, no, I, I I enjoy the job. I enjoy helping people. I enjoy working with the people I get to work with. But at the same time, of course, I also enjoyed working with those kids. They're, they're, especially because they were like four and five. They're, you know those kids. Those kids are fun. You, all you have to do yeah. is just go that way, and and you know they <laughs> yeah. they they're just there to have fun. And, and sometimes that's uh, sometimes you need a little bit of that uh, in your life as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that was a great answer, and I
0: appreciate the time you've taken. And uh, thank you for joining me on the Riff, Lance Pruitt.
1: Yeah, not a problem.
0: Have a good one.